Hey, and welcome to our virtual service. We are so glad that you're joining us today online as we continue on through our Woke series. Today, Rick is going to be talking about finding Jesus in the election, which is really a very timely message uh, for right now. But if you have missed any of the messages in this series, we invite you to go uh, through and look at them. You'll find the link in this message that you can go back and listen to any of the topics that we've had in this series, Finding Jesus in the Fog. Um, if you've got the app, now would be the time that we would like you to go and connect with us. You can go to the North Point app and go to the connect button. If you don't have the app or if you're new to North Point, you can text guest NCC to 94090. That lets us know that you're here so that we can stay connected with you. Another way that we worship here at North Point is through giving. And so again, through the app, you are able to give electronically. If you don't have the app though, you can text NCC give to 77977 and that's a safe and secure way for you to give electronically and to worship God in that way. Finally, we have something really exciting that we um, are thrilled about to do for the month of November. Beginning today, November 1st, we're offering an 8.30 service, which, which is a mask mandatory service for those who are a little hesitant about going out um, and being in public. We want those of you who feel that way to be welcome and to feel safe and to come together with other believers to worship our amazing God. So we have made this service especially for you, um, being sensitive to some concerns that you may have. So we hope that if you didn't come today that you come one of the Sundays in November to check us out. We really want to make you feel welcome um, and just to have that experience of worshiping together. So right now I'm going to hand it off to Rick and he's going to lead you through a great message. So take it away Rick. Right. It was funny, as the service started, I thought, man, it just feels kind of today like there's a little bit of funk in the house. You know, it's just kind of like, oh, it's rainy outside. I, I would understand if you were Michigan fans. Um, <laughs> had to bring it up. It was not in my notes, but I did have that sense. Hey, um, <laughs> as long as you have Jesus, that's what matters. Football doesn't. Um, hey, uh, we, we are so glad that you're here. And, and I do want to just kind of reinforce what Jake said. We, we had the 830 service uh, this morning for the first time. If, if, uh, if, you're, if you would feel more comfortable in a more socially distant environment, masks on, that kind of thing, feel free to come to 830. That would be great. Um, it, it was fun. Uh, it, there was such a great thing to see some people who haven't been back yet, um, and so a really cool thing. We're in this series. If you've been around, um, if you've been around the last six or eight weeks, whatever, we're in this series called uh, hashtag Woke. We'll get to that in just a second. Big picture: North Point exists to help all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. If you've been around, you've probably heard that sometime. We, the, the reason why we're here, our mission is to help all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. That, that is evangelism, help all people 
Move towards life fully devoted discipleship. Evangelism and discipleship, that's the heart of God, to reach lost people, to help people who know Jesus to continue to grow. Our vision, uh, you know, that mission gets lived out in different ways at different times. Our vision for right now, the thing that we're really focused on, is, is that everybody who calls North Point home, everyone who calls North Point home, would regularly be talking about how Jesus is working in their life, in their sphere of influence. That it would just be a normal part of their conversation. Why is that so important? Because we live in a place, we live in a time when so many people are just kind of walking around in a fog. And they don't, they don't know what matters and what doesn't. And when we recognize how Jesus is working in our lives... And we just talk about that naturally, not like an evangelism program, not any of that. Just normally talking about how Jesus is working in our life. God can use those conversations to dramatically change our community and our world, to help us recognize what God is doing. So, so we did this series, this woke series, to help us wake up to the fact that Jesus is working in our lives, to help us recognize that Jesus is working in our lives in so many different ways. We talked about um, how Jesus is working even when it seems like God is silent. We talked about how Jesus is working when we experience success, when there's celebrations, when there's parties. We talked about um, how Jesus is working even on the day-to-day mundane, just kind of you know, when it feels like you're slogging through life, Jesus is there and he's working. We talked about how Jesus is working in the middle of storms when we go through those storms that he never leaves us, that he's right there. We're just waiting for us to call out to him, that he's, his presence is there. Last week, we talked about that, that uh, Jesus is working even in random events. Jake did a great job at just helping us recognize that the things that happen in life that just seem so random, that God is behind that, and Jesus is working in that. He has a purpose in that. Today, we're talking about, I, I wish I had a drum roll right now, scary, Jesus in the election. Um, and I got to tell you, that this is like the sermon that, where angels fear to tread, you know. Um, but at the same time, let me say this. This is, a, this is a message that I have really looked forward to for the last uh, five or six weeks because, because there's some very important things that I think we need to grab hold of and latch onto at this time as followers of Jesus. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, we did an uh, all-church study um, called Gospel Fluency. If you are part of that, if you remember that, um, the, the whole purpose of that was to help us understand that the gospel permeates every aspect of our life and that if we're going to understand God's perspective, we have to see it through the lens of the gospel. What's the lens of the gospel? It's understanding foundationally. Uh, l- let me just, again, pause for a second. This may be revolutionary for you or it may not be, but we have to understand foundationally that man's a mess, collectively and individually, that we're all born with this bent towards sin, with with this bent towards selfishness, with this bent towards um, focusing on ourselves, on our needs, on what's best for us, um, and and we're willing to do whatever we, we can to help maintain that. The Bible calls that sin. It separates us from God. We have to understand that that's who we are. Uh, Hear this. Um, 
we are not inherently good, the Bible teaches. That we're born in sin, in Adam's sin. Now, that's bad news, right? We're a mess. It's, that's terrible. The good news is that God sent Jesus to the earth to take our sin on himself, to take our punishment on himself so that we could have the right kind of relationship with God. That's the message of the gospel. And not only did Jesus come to just take our sin on himself, he went to the cross and he died and he broke the power of death as well so that, so that we could be with God eternally. That's great news. Somebody say, yeah, yeah, yeah that's good stuff. That picture, that perspective frames how we look at this election. Um, uh, That idea is so critical to understanding that. Um, My my brain's in a different place right now. Hold on just for a second, okay? Everybody take a breath. Um, When we understand that God's in God's there, he's in charge. How does that shape what we do with the election? It starts by recognizing that no one comes into authority without God's permission, right? Nobody comes into any kind of position of authority without God's permission. Um, The Bible's clear that authority is established by God. God set up the structure, and God allows people to serve in those areas. Governments are a part of the sovereignty of God. God being in charge, it, it, that's sovereign. Um, Romans, Romans 13 says this, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Authorities that exist have been established by God. Um, now, if you're processing that, you're thinking, wait a second, does that mean that God allowed Hitler to, be, to come to power? And the answer to that's yes. He allowed it. He didn't endorse it. That was not his design. That was not his best. But God allowed that to happen. Does God allow evil people to, to lead government, uh, governmental positions? Absolutely, he does. God's sovereign. He created the structure. Um, you know... Uh, as a parent, many of you are parents, some of you have used this phrase before with your kids. Hey, kid, I brought you into this world, and I can just as easy take you out, right? If, if you're here and you're a kid um, and your parents say that, know that they don't really mean that most of the time, <laughs> right? That phrase, however, is absolutely true for God, though. God is the giver of life. He's the one who created us, who breathed life into us. And God has the ability at any point in time to say, your time on earth is done. No more. And to, and to take life as well. Um, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 12. Because this, is, this, is, this concept is so fundamental to understanding how God's going to work, uh, how God can work in, in an election. No one comes into a power uh, into authority except with God's permission. Romans 12, um, beginning in verse 1. It was about this time 
And when it, when it says this time, you can scroll back and look through the, the previous chapters and figure out what's going on. Here's the quick update. Jesus went to the cross. He died. He, he uh, was resurrected. He ascended into heaven. And then the book of Acts starts and the church starts. And the church just grows like crazy. Um, and, and then um, Stephen becomes the first Christian martyr. He's put to death for his faith. And this persecution arises for everybody who believes in Jesus. And so the disciples scatter, and that's a crazy thing. Um, uh, Peter has a vision that comes from God that says the gospel is not just for Jews. It's also for non-Jews, for, for um, Gentiles. And so the gospel begins to expand in that way. And then in, in chapter 11, it describes that there was this famine that, it, that covered the entire world, uh, that covered this area. And the church responded by taking up offerings to help meet the needs of the people um, who were impacted by, by the famine. So it was about that time that Herod Agrippa, or that King Herod, who is... Uh, Herod is a term that means king, and, um, and this is actually Herod Agrippa. This is Herod the Great who rebuilt the temple, who issued the order when the wise men came to kill the babies. You remember that? Someone nodded their head. Yeah, we remember that. This is his grandson, all right? So it was about that time that Herod Agrippa, uh, Herod the Great's grandson, uh, arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, James and John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Skip the verse to verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for him. Agrippa recognizes that the Jews that he represents, that he leads, don't like the Christians. So he arrests, he arrests James and puts him to death. And the Jews go crazy. This is the greatest thing ever. So he then turns around and, and arrests Peter and is ready to put him to death as well. Do you understand in our personal, in, in our time right now, Agrippa, King, King Herod, was playing to his base. The people that supported him were the Jews. The Jews didn't like the Christians, so he's persecuting the Christians. He kills James is ready to kill Peter. Um, what, what, uh, what happens then, I'm not going to read down through it, but from, from verse 6 through verse 18, the church is praying and God responds miraculously. An angel comes to Peter. He's in prison at night. The night before he's ready to be tried and executed, um, the angel comes, takes his chains away, takes him out of the prison. He walks through the doors. They, uh, the angel unlocks the doors. He walks out the doors and goes to meet with the church at that point in time. It's a miracle. It's uh, so much so that Peter thinks it's a dream. It's a miracle. He's there at the door knocking on the door, and the church doesn't know what to do because God has really answered their prayers. It's a really cool story. Read it this afternoon. Verse 18. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod Agrippa had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, Herod cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Great quality leader, right? Uh, killed, the Jew, uh, killed, the, uh, killed James to make the Jews happy. Uh, arrest Peter, ready to kill him. Peter escapes, kills the guards. Verse 19. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. 
And then I'm going to jump down to, to verse 21. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten of worms and died. Is that great or what? I, uh, I remember reading that for the first time as a junior high kid and thinking, this is so cool. A um, couple of things. Just so that you know, this story is not made up. Caesarea, where Herod speaks in this amphitheater to the guys from Tyre and Sidon that, that come to hear him and uh, have a, a dispute resolved. Um, Caesarea Maritime is still there. The ruins are there. And this amphitheater that, that Herod spoke in, it still exists. I sat there when I was in Israel. It's an incredible thing. There's this, there's this Jewish historian from the first century that wrote for the Romans, a guy named Josephus, and he describes this event. Um, he says that Herod, it talks about the, what he was dressed in. It said that Herod's robe was woven with silver thread with gold laced throughout it, so much so that when the sun hit it, it was blinding to the audience. It was like he was wearing a mirror, all right? So the sun shines, and, and everybody's just, they're dazzled with his appearance. He gets up to speak, and the Jews, who love him because he's killing the Christians, oh, this is the greatest thing. He's like, God. Herod revels in that, and um, what doctors think happened is that at that point in time, he had a tumor inside him that burst, and the infection and the maggots and stuff killed him from the inside out. Josephus says it took him five days to die. And, that, and Josephus says that Herod recognized that the reason that he died is because he didn't give the glory to God and kept it for himself, which is very, very interesting. Um, all of that to say this, God allows people to rise to power, and God can remove people from power with just simply the nod of his head, with the touch of his hand. As the creator of the world, as the author of life, he has that power, that right, because he rules over all. That's called the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. This next idea is critical to finding Jesus in the election for us. Because God is sovereign, because he's over everything, we don't need to fear the results of the election. Some would say, that's right, that's right. We don't need to fear. Um, look, at what, look at how Luke records what happens as a result of Herod Agrippa's death. In the very next verse, verse 24, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. This leader comes to power, draws all the attention to himself. He dies because he won't glorify God. And the word of God continues to spread and flourish. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's elected. God's word has the ability to grow and flourish. It doesn't matter on Tuesday if your guy wins or loses. God is in control and we can trust him. Maybe your guy wins on Tuesday. Maybe not. Maybe after the election, there is a great freedom for the church. Maybe not. Maybe after the election, the church and Christians are persecuted in a way we've never seen before. Maybe, maybe not. Either way, God's word can flourish 
and grow. His kingdom can grow. If we follow Jesus, if we're disciples of Jesus, being transformed by him, we're going to be okay. We either believe and live by the words of Paul when he was imprisoned, or we don't. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He had the big picture in mind. We either trust what Jesus said or we don't. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. We don't need to fear. We don't need to wring our hands about the election or the election's results. God is not fretting the results of what happens on Tuesday. God's in control. If that's true, you don't need to see people who have a different political view than you do as your enemies. Do you understand that? If God's in charge, they're not your enemies. Because of our relationship with Jesus, we don't need to fight with people with whom we disagree. Man, understand Because of Jesus, we don't need to fight with people that we disagree with. We can discuss, we can ask questions, we can even come to different conclusions and hold different positions. But the eternal destiny of the people that we disagree with is far more important than whether or not we agree with them politically. Their destiny, their relationship with Jesus is so much more important than whether or not we have the same position. Paul, when he was unjustly um, imprisoned, wrote these words, Romans chapter 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position, people who disagree with you. Don't be conceited. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That applies to people who are not your political party, who don't have the same convictions that you do. Because God is sovereign, because we can trust him with our lives, because we can trust him with the future of our nation, we can celebrate the election results on Tuesday, regardless of whether they reflect your personal desires. Maybe your, guys win, your guy wins. If so, celebrate that. If your guy doesn't win, you can still celebrate. You can really celebrate because God's on his throne and he has an incredible plan for you and me, regardless of who wins and loses. He's going to live out that plan in our lives. So if we should celebrate no matter who wins or loses, should we even care about the election? Should we even be involved? Absolutely. Absolutely. As disciples of Jesus, we need to pray about the election on Tuesday. We need to pray about the results of the election. We need to pray for our leaders and our leadership. We need to pray for our legislators. We need to pray for our judges. We need to pray for this election. And I want us to do that right now, all right? God, it it does seem like uh, 
just such an interesting time in our history. Crossroads. It seems like the choices are, uh, are, are hard in, in terms of how to vote and what might happen in the future. God, we pledge our trust to you, no matter what. Lord, we ask that you would be with the process this week, that it would be safe and fair, that people as they vote would be protected, that, there, that it might not cause even more division. God, our, our prayer, we come to you and ask that even in this time that seems so turbulent, that the result of that turbulence would, that, would be that people would turn to you, that they would, that they would want something more and that they would find that in Jesus. Um, God, let your will be done, and we recognize that we don't have a clue about what that is right now. But guide the process, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, we need to be involved. Because we live in a representative democracy, we need to be good stewards of the opportunity that we have to be involved in our government. I want to encourage you this morning. I just want to say to you real clearly, be involved in the process. Maybe you need to get involved in some aspect of the government. Maybe you need to run for office. Maybe you need to take action that can help bring change in the name of Jesus. Maybe you need to adopt a child. Maybe you need to foster, provide foster care for a child. Maybe you need to advocate or defend for people who are weak and, and powerless. Maybe you need to protect people in some way. Maybe you need to serve on the school board. Maybe you need to meet with our elected officials. We need to be involved in this election, and we need to make a well-thought-out decision about how to vote. We're in, in a unique position in the world in that we have the ability to be involved in the election, in the, in the selection of our governmental leaders. We need to be good stewards of that vote. A steward means that, that we're entrusted with something and that we take good care of that. How do you do that? I, to, to, there are two aspects, I think, that are so critical. One is to pray, and the other is to think critically about the choices that we make. Um, it's critical to know the positions of each candidate, but also to think critically about what which of those positions are the most important to you as a follower of Jesus? Sometimes this is what happens in an election, and, and you might be able to relate to any of these things. Sometimes we see an ad and we think, oh, I like that ad. I'm going to vote for that guy. Sometimes we see an ad and we think, oh, I don't like that guy. I'm not voting for him, right, or, or her, whatever it is. Sometimes we just make our decision based on an ad, Sometimes we make our decision, and, and this is a lot more subtle, but I think, it's, I think it's true of an awful lot of us as Americans. We hear the media say, oh, that person's going to win, and so we want to align ourselves with the winner, and so we just say, oh, they're going to win, so that's who I'm going to vote for, so I can say, oh, yeah, I voted for the, the winner. And we don't think critically about what they stand for, that what their positions are, that kind of thing. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes I, I think that we make a decision about a candidate or a, a list of candidates based on one position. We say, oh, this is the thing that really matters. This is all. This is everything. And, be, and based on their position on one particular matter, we choose to vote for them or not to vote for them. 
as much as I think individual issues matter, I don't think that that's the wisest path to determine how we, uh, how we use our vote. Uh, what I want to share just as we finish the next few minutes is a tool that I use in, in, um, in lots of areas of my life. We use it in the staff. I think the staff gets tired of hearing about it sometimes. But it's a tool that, that I have found incredibly practical for about the last 20 or 30 years. Sometimes when you're faced with a difficult decision, you do a pro list and a con list, right? The, the bad thing about a pro and con list is that it's really easy to manipulate the pro and con list. You've, you've all done that, right? I don't really want to do that, so I'm going to make this, last, this list lots longer with all stuff that doesn't really matter. Here's a tool that I think can help you think critically about how to approach a decision and particularly about how to, how to um, make your decision about a vote if you, ha- if you haven't voted yet. Um, start and make three columns on a piece of paper, and at the top of each column, write facts, intuition, and principles. Facts, intuitions, and principles. And go through the process of identifying the facts, your intuition, and the principles about that particular issue that you're dealing with, uh, in this case, about the election, um, before you decide to take action. It's really easy for us to say, oh, I'm going to vote for fill-in-the-blank, and then to justify that. What I'm asking you to do in this process is to, is to go the opposite direction. List all the facts. Let me, let me show you what that might look like in this particular case. So uh, a fact is something that's verifiable that you can go to and that you confirm that there's no doubt about. So in this case, you might say, uh, President Trump uh, said or did X, Y, Z on this date. That's a fact. Make sense? Right? Uh, your intuition is what your gut tells you inside. It's, it's, um, it's what you think will happen, but it's not a fact because you don't know how that's going to play out. So, um, so you might say, oh, if Senator Biden's elected, this is going to be the policy that's going to be the result of that. Senator Biden may have said that that's going to be the policy, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be enacted. That's your intuition. And, and these are going to be the results of that. It's what your gut says, this is what I think is going to happen in, in this particular case. All right? Principles are the principles. They may be biblical principles or they may be value-based principles in your life that, that, that you hold to firmly. That you may say, you know what? Um, I, I put a blank there. This could be anything. You, a, a principle for you may be to say character is critical for president. Right? That's a principle. That's not a fact. It's not an intuition. That's a principle that you hold. Um, I, you might say, oh, I can't vote for a, for a candidate who does X, Y, Z. That's a principle. Now, the, um, the, the list of these things, you might, have, you might have 15, 20, 40 things in each of those three columns because there's a whole lot of pieces to this, elect, this election, Correct right? What I would encourage you to do is to write those all out and then circle the two or three things, maybe as many as five things, that are the most important to you. Because it doesn't matter how many things you have up there. This process is designed to help you identify what's the most critical stuff for me. What are the most critical issues for me? They may all, they may all five things be in the fact column. Or they may all five be in the 
principle column or the, or the intuition column. It, it doesn't really matter. It may, they may be spread across all, all three columns. But whatever you identify as the most critical things, that then sets you on your course of action for how you're going to use your vote. What are some things that, that may end up on that list? It may, one of, the, one of the issues, you know, historically we've talked a lot, uh, appointment of judges. What's going to happen with the Supreme Court? That, that might be one of the things that's there. Um, the treatment of poor and marginalized people, that might be one of the things that's up there. Uh, their, uh, a candidate's fiscal policy or foreign policy, their position on defense, their position on, a, on character, how, how that gets lived out, their, their view of uh, the value of life from, from conception to, to death, that might be there. Um, uh, their ability to work with other parties, to build uh, bridges across party lines, their treatment of religion or religious peoples, that might be a piece that's there. Their, uh, their total party platform, that, that, that may show up in any of those columns. You've got to identify what are the things that are most important. Your vote may determine the result of the election. We've been given a call to be good stewards of our vote. So it's, in, it's essential that we know why we're voting, who we're voting for. Let me say this, and this may be incredibly um, controversial. If so, send emails to Jake Howard. At <laughs> um, no. um, I think when you go through that process, it's an okay thing to land in a place where you say, I can't vote for this candidate, and I can't vote for this candidate, and so I'm not going to vote for either one, or I'm going to vote for a third-party candidate. I think that you can do that based on a principled decision. I'm not advocating that. I'm saying you can land there. Um, to, to choose not to vote and to simply opt out because the choices are too hard, I don't think that's a good path. I, I think um, if you choose not to vote for either of the major party candidates, I think you have to do so recognizing foundationally what we've talked about in the message, that God is in control and that we trust him no matter what. Because we recognize that, you know what, if this, if this candidate wins or if this candidate wins, all kinds of things could go crazy, you know? But I trust God. This is, this is something I've wrestled with personally to say, you know what, if I choose not to vote for either candidate, um, do I trust that God may take us through a time of incredible turbulence, before he shows himself again on the other side. That, that may be, very well be. I haven't landed there. Um, I, I'm still working through this process, okay? Um, a principal decision not to vote, I think, is okay. Um, I think a principal decision to vote for President Trump, if you can identify why you've done it, I think that that's okay. A principal decision to vote for Senator Biden, I think that that's okay. Because I think that there are things that each of them stand for that you say, uh, what are the things that I care about most deeply that I think are most important from a biblical perspective? Um, now hear this um, as I land this plane. Um, the principles that guide your vote cannot be forced to be a uh, cannot become a mandate for anybody else in your life. If I land at position X, 
I can't demand that Deb lands at position X as well, or that, or, or that Dantes, or that John C., or whoever it is. That's to make my principles a mandate for the way that everybody else lives, that's exactly what the Pharisees did in the first century. They said, oh, here's how we read scripture. This is what it means. This is how I apply it to my life. You have to apply it to your life in the exact same way. I don't think, I don't, we can't do that, all right? Um, finding Jesus in this election is ultimately about one thing. It's peace. Finding Jesus in this election is all about the peace of God coming in because we recognize that God is sovereign and he's in control. And as important as all the stuff is, it pales in comparison to our relationship with knowing Jesus. Our faith is in God. It's not in the democratic system. God's plan, hear this, God's plan does not depend upon the United States of America. He was accomplishing his will before, uh, before 1776. He is accomplishing his will in the darkest places on earth. Our citizenship is in heaven, not in the USA. We have brothers and sisters in Christ, in China, in North Korea, in Sudan, in Syria, none of which live in a representative democracy like ours. The church in the first century lived in severe persecution by the government. We don't need to feel threatened by the results of this election unless we place a higher priority on our comfort than we do our discipleship. Over the last few weeks, we've shared how Jesus has been working. Today, there's a really fresh example about how you're seeing Jesus working in, in your life. Andy Acker is our student ministry resident. He's uh, directing uh, our ministry to teens in a really cool way. Um, that means that he has come as a learner and a leader for our teens. In the middle of this song, he's going to share a little bit of testimony of how Jesus has been working in his life that has led him to the step to be baptized. To, to say, you know what, God's calling me to, to take this step and I want to follow him in that process. Um, that's Jesus working in our lives. I'd invite you to come back at the end of the 11 o'clock service and actually see him uh, get immersed. That would be a really cool thing, but know that that's going to happen and you can watch it on video later today. Let's stand together. Let's sing. Oh
As an infant, I was baptized in a church that believed in infant baptism, and as I grew more in my spiritual faith, um, I recognized that I didn't really connect with that belief. And while I was in high school and college, I started to do more readings of scripture that shared more about a believer's baptism rather than infant baptism. I felt more called by God to get baptized as a believer. While God was just speaking to me, I felt called to get baptized. And for the longest time, I was pushing it off because I was involved in youth ministry as a leader, and I was always scared of how that would look to the students and the other people of the church. And now I'm just kind of tired of feeling that way, of uh, hearing God's calling and just disobeying it. And that's the decision why I'm getting baptized now. I mean, we look at Jesus, and Jesus was baptized when he was 30, right before he started his ministry. And I'm just starting ministry here at North Point with the youth, and I just think that's a good time um, to fulfill the calling and a huge walk of humility for me um, to listen to God. All right, hey guys, I'm here with uh, Andy Acker today, and I just want to say, uh, first and foremost, as Andy's uh, co-worker, as Andy's friend, uh, I'm incredibly proud of uh, his willingness to take this step and really own his faith and be an example to others. So uh, with that being said, Andy, do you claim to know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life? I do, yes. Awesome, man. Well then, here we go, uh, proclaiming that you are buried in his likeness, raised in your life. Come on! Still 
Yeah. Hey, let's pray. God, uh, that is our deepest desire, that Christ would be magnified in us. Um, Lord, help us to honor you with the decisions that we make, with the processes that we use. And God, we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. Spend it in prayer.